0: I-N, as in Nancy, G-E-R. You can cross that bridge, but you may not make it to the other side. This world is a strange one. Let's face it, bridges are just plain creepy. Whenever I drive over a bridge, I can't wait to get to the other side, because who knows when it will collapse, Plus, bridges are hotspots for suicides. So, of course, many of them could be haunted. With that in mind, let's take a look at some allegedly true creepy stories around bridges. But first, I have to recommend this new book I've been reading. It's creepy, it's disturbing, and it's flat-out psychotic. It's called Born Without Innocence by the new author Paris Michaels. It's about Jillian, a girl whose parents are renowned serial killers, but her blood-fueled mother escapes death row, leaving a wake of gore and death as she searches for Jillian, a girl who's trying her hardest to live a normal life. It's fast-paced and only 99 cents on Amazon. So if you want to give it a read, you can go to deathbyfear.com slash Paris. Now, are you ready to burn some bridges? Number one. The Cry Baby Bridge Ghosts, submitted by Caitlin. This memory still brings chills to my spine. You see, one night about a year ago, I was with my aunt and cousins. We had just got done eating dinner and had nothing to do but watch some TV. So I asked my aunt about her paranormal experiences and she mentioned Crybaby Bridge. I've heard of Crybaby Bridge before, but I've never been to it or seen it. So being into scary things, I asked her to take me and my cousins there. She agreed and called my father and stepmother to join us. We all met up at a gas station and began our journey. My aunt explained the backstory of Crybaby Bridge for me. As it goes, apparently a woman had gone through a divorce with her husband. She grew frustrated with being a single mother. So she grabbed her baby and walked to the bridge, then jumped off into the water, which drowned herself along with her newborn child. They say you can still hear the cries of the baby, while others say you can see the woman herself walking along the bridge on the banks of the river, looking for the child, she drowned in the water. I've heard of a number of different creepy things happen there, but I won't go into too much detail. After being told this story, I grew even more intrigued and creeped out. I had this gut feeling that we shouldn't go, that we should have just turned back and went home. But I didn't breathe a word. About 20 minutes later, we were there. I was very nervous, almost nauseous. My little sister and younger cousin were hugging each other in fear already. It seems the story had gotten to us. Altogether, everyone turned off their vehicles and stepped out of their cars, but my cousin and sister stayed in the car. They were too afraid to get out. Outside and next to the bridge, we heard the quiet chirping of crickets, but after we drew closer to the bridge, the chirping just stopped. We walked around the old bridge a bit, looking down at the river. It was eerily illuminated by the moon. As we walked around in silence for about 15 minutes, My aunt and uncle suddenly noticed a noise from below the bridge. It grew louder until we could all tell what the noise was. And as soon as I recognized it, I felt my heart freeze solid inside my chest. It was the sound of a crying child. It scared the living daylights out of me and I began to tremble a little bit. I followed the adults closely to the shore to look under the bridge, but we saw nothing yet we continued to hear the cries of a baby. Then all of a sudden, both cars' headlights turned on and off. We ran to the bridge to see my younger cousins and little sister running towards us in tears. My father and uncle showed me that they had the keys with them. So how were the headlights going on and off like that? I thought that maybe they had pushed the buttons on the keys, but then again, none of their cars had those buttons. These cars were too old. Everyone went down to the shore to calm down a bit, but I stayed up by the bridge. It was probably one of the stupidest things I've ever done because this is when my encounter starts. I walked to my father's car to get his flashlight. He always brings it with him no matter where he goes. After I got in the car, the car door slammed shut behind me. Then the headlights began to flicker on and off again and the car began to shake as if dozens of people were outside trying to move the car up and down. I was frozen with fear when I suddenly saw a woman walking towards the car. I tried to open the doors to get out and to run away, but the doors wouldn't budge. I looked up again, and I wished I hadn't. She was at the left backseat window. She had her face pressed up against the glass, and she was staring in at me. By now, the car had stopped moving and shut off. I jumped when I heard my father banging on the window beside me. I looked back at the left window only to see that the woman was gone. We all quickly got into the cars and drove away. I've never been so afraid in my entire life. We never talk about what happened that night and I hope to never come across that bridge again. Number two, The Crazy Man at the Local Creek. Submitted by Kellen H. I've always thought of the creek near my home as a safe and local hangout place, as if nothing bad or creepy could ever happen there. But that's exactly what happened. When I was a child, that creek was my go-to spot. I probably knew every single rock that was in that creek. I went there every day collecting rocks for my rock collection. Sometimes I was joined, but most of the time my friends never bothered, so I was left alone. Honestly, I'm pretty sure they thought my obsession with the creek was weird and horrible, but as a sixth grader, I didn't care. It was peaceful there, and I felt more safe than anywhere. One day right after school, I was walking to the creek. My best friend at the time, Maddie, actually joined me this time. It was a short ride on our bikes to the creek. We parked our bikes by the stone bridge that went over the creek. The only way down to the shore from there is to follow the side of the bridge under it, climbing down a bunch of rocks. I've fallen down these rocks once or twice before and scraped myself up, but that was the most these tiny rocks could do. Once you get down there, there's nothing but water and a small concrete structure that resembled a sinking ship a few miles down the creek. But after climbing down these rocks, trying to be as cautious as possible, I remember hearing a man talking. He seemed to be arguing with someone. I tried not to pay any attention to it. There were houses around the creek after all, and every so often you could hear the conversations from outside. So I brushed off the noise, as we tried to continue on our journey. But only seconds later, we were greeted by a dirty old man standing under the bridge on the opposite side. Except now he was screeching at the top of his lungs and he was far too busy to be paying attention to us. I had no idea why he was screaming. He seemed like some psycho or mental patient just standing under the bridge by himself screeching like a wounded animal. The sight of the man gave me chills. I looked over at Maddie to see if she had seen him too, but I didn't have to ask. She had seen him because I could tell by her horrified expression. I picked up a stick that I could use as a weapon just in case and we stepped out into the open where the man could obviously see us. And of course, the moment we took a step, he heard us, he stopped screaming, then he turned his head in our direction and he smiled. His teeth were dirty and his face seemed wrinkled and aged far past whatever age I thought he was at the time. Seeing his face almost startled me. In response to his unwanted attention, I waved the stick at him, and I yelled to just go away. But he only smiled wider. I almost screamed as he started to walk towards us. Again, I waved my stick harder at him, except this time he spoke. What's a pretty little girl like you carrying a stick like that for? You could hurt yourself, you know. He was almost halfway to us by now and the two of us couldn't move. I think we were too afraid to. The man continued, now reaching out his hands towards us. Why don't you come with me? I've got something I'd love to show you. It's right over here, right under this bridge. That's when young me decided that I didn't want him to come any closer. While shaking and Maddie screaming at me to run, I threw the stick as hard as I could, aiming for the old man's head. I cried out as I heard the crack of the stick connect with something, and before I could find out what I hit, I turned and ran with Maddie back home. Now, it's hard to run up those rocks, So we both ran on the outside of the creek where a small trail of grass led us to our bikes. It was a much longer way around, but at least we'd be putting distance away from that man. But we did take a gamble because what would we have done if he was there waiting at the bikes? Luckily, he wasn't. As soon as we got back to our bikes, we hightailed it home. And ever since that day, I never went back to the creek. I didn't want to go anywhere near the bridge, and it broke my heart that some creepy, ragged stranger could ruin my favorite place for me. To this very day, I miss being by that creek, and I miss the alone time it used to afford me. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. Do you believe in monsters? And given the chance, would you be brave enough to track one down on your own? In June's Journey, People are the true monsters, and you can live the story yourself rather than sitting back and listening to one. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Number three, The Suicidal Apparition, submitted by Lunara L. Mountains filled with the tallest of naturally green trees and a bright day showed through all of the distance in my horizons. I was visiting my father, stepmother, stepbrother and stepgrandmother, and her boyfriend with my older sister in the serenely majestic town of Tallahassee, Georgia we were camping in a trailer on the mountainside of a beautiful camping park where the creek trickled softly in the background. Everything around me was pure and thriving with abundant life under the warm summer sun. The vacation getaway seemed picture perfect, and although houses were being built here, it still seemed so untouched by man. My family crammed in my dad's golden Hyundai Santa Fe which soon went weaving through the curvy streets within the valley, while disco beats were playing in the curious air. When we passed some curves, I began to effortlessly daydream out the window into the open scenery, into the visually stunning mountain terrain. Soon we drove into the parking lot of a national park, surrounded by tall redwoods which filled the space to the brim with pristine nature. There was a cement path, that led to a set of wooden steps curving down upon the ground of the mountainside. It felt tiring to walk down all that way, but my curiosity to see the destination enticed me to keep going, each step pulling me closer. I could see through the trees, the bare white face of the other mountainside facing us, and below that was a metal suspended bridge. I had heard earlier that day that the bridge was considered haunted, since people have jumped off of it before to commit suicide in the past. At the moment, I swore that anybody who would walk down a beautiful mountainside like this just to jump to their death at the bridge, they had to be crazy. Besides, it sounded so out of the way to travel all this way to commit suicide. From there, they would fall on the rocks below and be swept away by the white rapids. So if you didn't die hitting the water, you'd suffer a slower and more painful death under the water. I tried not to think about it too much. I was more distracted by the sheer beauty of it all. The wooden steps we were on were so nicely maintained and polished, and above us were thick cable wires leading to the bridge that kept the bridge still in place to connect the two mountainsides. Eventually, we reached the bridge, and I began to walk towards the center of it. I was very scared of heights at the time, And you'll probably guess that that fear became far worse after this story took place. Well, after crossing the bridge safely, I felt incredibly brave. After taking some pictures of the scenery, we began to climb back up the mountain from the national park we came from. The sun was still nice and bright in the warm sky. It was only about 6 p.m. in the summer evening. The walk back up to the car felt a lot longer than it took before, but I was still so amazed to see that a bridge was constructed like that, so secure with a naturally rocky terrain. Once we got back, we gathered into the car and drove down the mountain through a different path to get back to the campsite. Then we got some food ready for supper. We all sat around the picnic table on the porch with our cold drinks, fresh Caesar salad, some grilled zucchini with a butter herb glaze, and grilled hamburgers with all the toppings prepared. Later that night, we roasted some marshmallows around the warm and bright orange bonfire to make s'mores for dessert. And I gotta say, the stars looked better here than I'd ever seen them before. At one point in the night, I made my way out of camp and down the hill to go towards the bathhouse to shower and change into fresh clothes. The only light I had with me as I stepped out of camp came from the moon and stars, but the canopy above mostly filtered it out So as I walked down the path, I could barely see my hand in front of my face. I began walking up the hill towards my destination, but then a large dog began to bark viciously at me. I didn't even know it was there until it began barking. I took a few more steps, daring the thing to come at me, but it didn't. So I assumed it was just all bark or was a friendly dog. But as I continued on the path, everything grew quiet. The barking stopped, the sounds of the insects all around me had stopped. As I got closer and closer to the top of the hill, I began to feel relieved, even though my heart was beating rapidly inside my chest. I walked across the weaving pavement, through the rocky driveway, and over the wooden front porch until I was able to step inside the nice trailer. I took my shower and settled down for the evening, and rather than going back to the actual campsite, I decided to sleep on the floor of the tiny kitchen inside the trailer. My older sister and stepbrother were there as well, sleeping on the dining room table that folded into a bed. After a long and beautiful day, I managed to drift off to sleep rather fast. Normally, a sleeping person would jump into alertness from a nightmare or from another person shaking them up, but I hadn't been dreaming about anything at all, and no one had been there to wake me up when I suddenly jolted awake out of my sleeping spot on the floor. Everything was still and quiet like it should have been, but I had no explanation as to why I woke up. I laid down again to go back to sleep when I saw something disturbing right above me. There was a man's face on the ceiling staring back at me. He was young with no remarkable features besides his short light brown hair. There were a lot of other people in that trailer and there was a dog inside with us, but I seemed to be the only thing who woke up to see this person. With knowing even at my childish age that very few people would believe this outlandish story, I began to stare underneath his face. If it really was all in my head, then if I visualized his body, it would make him appear as a hallucination. I focused so hard and imagined the rest of his body, in old jeans, red shirt, and a tan leather jacket but none of it would appear. Nothing I could conjure up was as vivid as the face I saw staring at me. I looked back to his face, only to see that he was now smiling, and I was caught off guard by that creepy smile. His grin was so sinister, and the way he looked at me was horrifying, to say the least, because he wasn't looking at me. He was looking through me or into me, like some predator targeting its prey, It was like he knew something that I didn't, something bad. I felt like he was saying that I'd be like him one day, dead and forced to walk the earth. His face was like a doll, smiling not from joy, but from causing things fear. I laid there still and silent, unable to move or to wake up anyone, not after seeing that face. If I moved, then I didn't know what else could happen. I didn't know what he would do. Everything inside my head was telling me to never forget this moment, and within a few seconds, his face moved upward on the ceiling, then vanished into thin air. Who was he? What was his name and what was his life like, I wonder? Our campsite was very close to the bridge, and I've always wondered if he was one of the people that jumped from the bridge to his untimely death, and why did he choose me to be seen by? Why was I chosen to be haunted by this experience? Number four, Shadow Thing Under the Bridge, submitted by Georgia. Back when I was in year 10 of secondary school, our religious studies class got taken on a trip to the Holocaust Center. We had to go around writing down any information that would come in handy for our upcoming exams. The trip was actually very fun and interesting. Our class even got to sit with a real concentration camp survivor, listening to his story from all those years ago. It was a very moving experience. At the end of the trip, we all got to go and have a quick look in the gift shop. I decided to buy a rubber red wristband, the kind of thing you might see on people who work for charities giving out. They usually have the name of the charity or their website on them to help raise awareness for their cause. The wristband had the words, genocide, never again, written on it. I figured it was a nice fitting souvenir. I put it on my wrist as we walked out and that was that. About a year and a half later, that red wristband had never left my wrist. It wasn't hugely sentimental or anything. I just never really saw the need to take it off. It was something that didn't get damaged by water and I just kind of forgot it was there. This will be important later. Now at the time that this event took place, it was winter. Me and my friend Lucy were meant to be going to a theme park early on Saturday morning. It was a trip we'd been awarded by our school for overachieving in our grades. Coaches would be transporting us there and we had to be at the school by 9 a.m. sharp no later, or the coaches would be leaving without us. Lucy suggested that it was pretty early in the morning and she lived closer to our school, so I should stay the night at her house and we could wake up and go there together in the morning. I happily agreed. I brought my sleeping stuff and change of clothes for school. Now, like I said, it was winter out. It had reached below freezing temperatures. However, there was no snow or anything like that so we never thought the weather would be an actual issue for the trip. We just needed to make sure we dressed warm. Well, we wake up the next day and lo and behold, a clear six inches of snow had fallen during the night and it was still coming down hard. Needless to say, our trip was canceled. We were a little bummed and we decided to make the best of it and have a fun snow day. We were up early enough to get a McDonald's breakfast. The roads were horrendous So instead of getting Lucy's mom to drive us, we rolled us a few smokes, wrapped up and set off to get our hash browns. As we walked there, I couldn't get over how heavy it was coming down still. I mean, we hadn't seen snow like this for years. On the way back, Lucy said it'd be fun to go sledding. She said there was a place nearby that would be perfect for it. It sounded fun to me. Plus, given the fact that I thought I'd be riding around on roller coasters by now, it seemed like the next best thing to do. So we went. We grabbed her sled and I put on some mittens, which I would like to point out covered up my red wristband. Then off we went on our journey. The place she was taking me to was about a 10 minute walk from her house. We arrived at a bunch of fields. Now I'm going to roughly explain the layout of the place, which is very important to the story. Basically, we had to walk over one big field At the end of it is a steep slope that leads onto the next field. And at the end of that one, there is another slightly steeper slope. Leading onto what I could see was a small football field with a couple of goalposts. I could see at the end of this field, there was fencing surrounded by a load of vine and general greenery. I could also see a built-up train track separating the football field from the field on the other side. I've never actually walked in that field, but I'd explored the church graveyard that resided right by it as a kid. Graveyards had always kind of interested me for some reason. Anyway, I'd never actually been to that field as I said before. I didn't know that under the built up train track, hiding along the fence, there was a creepy little bridge that would lead you to the fields we're in now. The slopes here were ideal for sledding, so we started going up and down them both. It was no roller coaster, but I was still having a lot of fun with it. It started snowing really heavily again, so we thought we should go take shelter under the bridge at the bottom of the football field until the snow stopped coming down so hard. Now, like I said, I didn't know this bridge even existed until that day, and so obviously I'd never been there before. To get there, you have to go down a pretty steep pathway. Once we reach the bottom, I could see a small gravel path which led us to underneath the bridge. Looking ahead, straight away, something caught my eye. There, lying perfectly in the middle underneath the bridge was what looked like a red wristband. I pointed it out to my friend Lucy and I jokingly said, imagine if I picked that up and it was actually my wristband. She laughed and said that'd be kind of creepy. We walked up to it finally sheltered from the cold wind and heavy snow thanks to the bridge. Curiously, I picked up the wristband to see what it said. A chill ran down my spine when I read it because it said what mine said, genocide never again. I thought to myself, now that's either one hell of a coincidence that someone who also visited the Holocaust Center came to this exact bridge and dropped us here, or it was mine. That's impossible, I said. It had been wrapped tightly around my wrist, not to mention it had been under layers upon layers of clothes all day. I rolled up the sleeves of all the layers I had on. I took off my mitten and my red band wasn't there. My wristband had never fallen off since the day I'd put it on and that was over 18 months ago. And if it had come close to falling off, I'd always noticed, but that was impossible. As it was made of rubber, I would always feel it rolling over my hand if it got too close to falling off. Being as logical as possible, my mind began searching for answers for how it could have possibly ended up way out here, but there was no way to explain this. It wasn't possible. Let's say I got caught up in all the fun of sledding, and it did somehow fall off of my wrist without me noticing. The ground was covered with a fresh layer of white snow so surely I would have noticed a bright red wristband lying on the ground. And let's say I didn't notice it in the snow and that the wind was strong enough to carry it across two large fields. It would have had to take a very specific route to end up exactly where it was. It would have had to travel specifically into the corner of the small football field down the small steep path without getting caught up in all the vines growing across it along the gravel pathway Then it'd have to float down under the bridge where there was little to know when to carry it into the middle. We couldn't believe what we were seeing. We lit a few smokes, starting to rake our brains. The whole time we sat there, everything felt so off. We soon decided to call it a day and make our way back. As we approached the bottom of the steep path next to the start of the bridge, Lucy was already halfway up when I decided to take one last look at the bridge only to see a dark shadowy figure standing there in the middle where the wristband had been. As soon as I saw that, I bolted up the path faster than I thought possible, given the fact that the snow was thick and slippery. I didn't tell my friend what I'd seen. I did not want to freak her out too. Besides, she would probably just think I was trying to scare her after everything that had happened. In fact, whenever I retell the story to other friends, I always leave out that part, partly because I don't think they'll believe me, and partly because the thought of even mentioning the shadowy figure, it gives me a sickly feeling in the pit of my stomach. I've never personally been one to believe in the paranormal, though I've always been open-minded to the idea. After exhausting all logical explanations for what me and my friend experienced, I'm left believing that what I saw that day under the bridge was as real as it gets. I've since been back there by myself, and all I can say is I definitely never feel alone. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the US, more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. And number five, don't cross this bridge. Submitted by Hannah13. There is an old steel bridge that crosses from West Leechburg to Hyde Park in Leechburg, Pennsylvania. On this bridge, people have reported seeing UFOs on the riverbanks. There's a suicide story of a boy who was running away from the police only to jump off the bridge. I've heard tale of a male figure with only his legs showing up in photos. There's also been sightings of a little girl's spirit and a beast on the Hyde Park trails on the other side of the bridge. Many stories evolve around this haunted bridge, and it keeps many people at bay from wanting to cross it, especially at night. But my partner and I, let's call him Roman, along with two other friends of mine, we didn't listen to these warnings. One night back in March, after a heavy rainstorm, my friends and I were bored, and we wanted to go exploring. Roman and I love going on paranormal hunts, so he says we should go to the Swinging Bridge, We all agreed to go and decided to try and have some fun. Roman was usually the one to retell the stories he's heard about the bridge, including the one of the Beast of Hyde Park. He says it was spawned by a satanic ritual and it haunts those trails. He also says the ghosts on the bridge protect people who try to cross it at night by chasing them away. My friends, Dante and Son, took it with a grain of salt though, thinking that nothing would happen. Once we found a parking spot, we got ourselves out of the car. Creepily enough, due to the rain and being in a valley, the whole bridge itself was covered in a blanket of fog. This was a weekend night, so it was very busy. Cars were driving up and down the road. But it seemed like once we put one foot on the metal bridge, everything went silent and the cars stopped passing by. It was as if we were the only ones left in the world, and the only sounds that did fill our ears was the echoes of our footsteps on the swinging, creaking metal. I turned to my friends and asked them if they wanted to take pictures to see if we could get any photos on our phones. We all stopped on the middle of the bridge and waited for it to stop making noise. We had to wait for it to stop moving as well. With our cell phones out, we began taking pictures without the flash on due to the bridge being brightly lit, even with the fog. Although when we looked at our pictures, there was nothing but blackness covering some of the lights in our photos. We assumed it was the fog ruining our shots. Then Roman showed his phone to us and he had what appeared to be two figures in different pictures. One was what looked like a small person sitting on the edge of the bridge. The next photo sent shivers down my spine because in it, there's a black mass shaped like a pair of legs. We were creeped out and thought we should turn back. So we began to slowly turn around when a flock of sleeping geese that was floating on the river edge let out a synchronized cry and began to fly off out of fright. This made all of us jump. And that's when we saw that the end of the bridge that leads to the park began to grow darker and darker, as if a giant shadow was being cast over it. Roman told us to run. And without a second thought, that's what we did. We all felt like we were being chased off the bridge. It felt like a scene from a scary movie, but the scares weren't over yet. Once we got off the bridge, Roman said that his back was burning. We all knew what that meant, but we didn't want to admit it. Our friend Dante went up behind him and lifted up the back of his shirt. Son and I went over and gasped in horror as we saw three scratch marks going down from the left side of his shoulder blades to underneath the right shoulder blade. Of course, Roman laughed it off, saying that it happens on this bridge from time to time, and he told us we have to be careful next time if we ever wanted to come back to the bridge. People who are in the area of this story, I can't stress enough that you should not cross this bridge at night. You don't want to get chased off by that thing, whether it was the legs or that beast because you could end up getting seriously hurt. Keep your eyes peeled when you walk over a bridge. During the day it can be nice and peaceful, but when the dark comes, bridges become bottlenecks that keep you in one tight space with only two ways to run. And whatever's coming for you, you won't see it until it wants you to see. But if you're lucky and the bridge isn't haunted and is completely vacant, there's still that chance that the bridge could fall at any second, bringing you down to a watery grave. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget to check out deathbyfear.com Paris for a good creepy read. Also, a huge thanks goes out to my newest patron, Brendan Merrick. Hey, you've almost got the same name as me. Anyway, thank you so much for helping this channel, and please enjoy those 45 bonus episodes and stay tuned for more. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines.